the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon and welcome. Good to have you with us for the Thursday, November 9th edition of Lifeline. My, my, how time flies when we're all having fun. Hey, hope you're having a great week so far. And as we uh, kind of begin to coast into the uh, the weekend here, tomorrow being Friday, we're going to jump into Church of the Week. Got a special guest that's going to join us coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. And we had kind of promised last night that we would do an update for you on our campaign with the Bay Area Rescue Mission. And I was going to to try and persuade Bram Begonia, the CEO, to join us here at the start of the program. I thought, gee, this poor guy is away from the wife and family two nights in a row. <laughs> We're going to give Bram this Thursday evening off. But I did want to first start by saying thank all of you, um, all of our listeners on KFAX for your generous contributions in standing with the Bay Area Rescue Mission to provide meals for the needy and homeless during this holiday season. And remind you, if you haven't had a chance to give, you can still do so simply by going to kfax.com and clicking on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our home screen. As we learned on the program last night from a gentleman that we interviewed on the street, for many of us, the reality is we are simply one paycheck or one life disaster away from being homeless ourselves. Most people go home because of the fact of family situations, circumstances in jail, all kinds of stuff can lead you to homelessness. Yeah, but nobody's ever really never safe. It's always a step away, you know, from being homeless. It's all about, you know what I'm saying, the money you got or who you know. If you don't know people or you're not willing to, you know what I'm saying, do certain things for money, nobody likes you. Nobody's willing to talk with you. Nobody wants to do anything with you. Wow. And that certainly uh, kind of spells it out, doesn't it? Uh, an individual that runs into a situation, they're dealing with a crisis of life, and suddenly they find themselves out on the street, no resources, no means of support, and nobody that wants to reach out and help you unless you're willing to compromise. Well, the good news is there are, in fact, organizations that are willing to reach out and to help and be there. And one such is the Bay Area Rescue Mission. One of the things that we like to highlight on the program is the power of change lives. And I thought most appropriately on tonight's program, we'd start with a testimony. I met Chris about two weeks ago at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. He's just about to graduate the program there. He has gone through it in some incredible ways. And I think you'll be moved by his story as much as I was. And then when you're done hearing, Chris, I want to encourage you to go to the website, kfax.com, click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner, and give a gift. We are very fortunate that the grant challenge has been extended, which doubles every dollar you give to the Bay Area Rescue Mission. That means that a contribution of, say, just $50 
doubled, will adopt two needy families and provide parents and kids a complete traditional Thanksgiving dinner and, in fact, about 25 meals per family that will get them not only through the Thanksgiving holiday but several days beyond. That's what your gift does when you go to kfax.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner right there at the top of our homepage. But without any further delay, let's get into the conversation. Here is Chris sharing his story of dealing with the aftermath of a fatal car accident. A lot of the things that were going on in my life was abandonment, loneliness, sadness. And I had to learn and develop everything on my own as far as being to the person where I am today. I learned everything on my own. I never graduated high school. I dropped out in 10th grade. And since then, from the ages of 18 to about 27 when I had my daughter that's when my dark stages were it all started off when I was 18 I was going to pick up my paycheck with a girlfriend of mine at the time I got in a car accident and I flipped the car 16 times and she flew out the car and died on the third flip and I survived when the car landed I felt the car going up and down my body going up and down And when the car landed, it was all dirt-filled. So when I opened my eyes, I see nothing but dirt. My eyes were hurting, so I shut them. And this is when I had my first encounter with, I believe, was the Holy Spirit. I closed my eyes, and I seen white dots. And as the dots got more pure white, and they got more white, more white, more white, I could feel something from my chest going higher and higher as I could see this white cloud. And right when I hit the peak of it, right when I hit the top of it, my eyes opened, and I took a deep breath. I am right now. It seems like it was just yesterday, but I took a deep breath and opened my eyes, and sure enough, she was gone, and my glasses were sit perfectly on the passenger side like this, no scratch, no bent, nothing like that. She ended up dying that day um, because of the injuries. I fought this case for a year in court. I ended up doing a year jail time, but that moment right there had me questioning God, like, is there a God? Why would he do this to me? I, I, I literally cursed him. I literally wanted nothing to do with him. I caused a divorce between my parents. They lost the house, all looking me out of prison. And from that point on, I didn't understand life. I didn't understand why things were happening. I became a, a successful DJ, me and my cousin, in Tracy, California, where I'm from. So we had a lot of clientele as far as gigs in Pinole, uh, San Jose. We were very popular. What comes with that is a lot of alcohol and drugs. From the ages of 20 to 27 when I had my daughter, I tried committing suicide a couple of times. Knowing that the amount of drugs that I would take, I knew I was doing too much, but it still never, it, it never worked. I've always wondered why, why am I still here? Why am I still doing this? What, you would think by me having my daughter, that would, that would change me a little bit. I wanted it to change, but no, I was so deeply rooted into my addiction that it was hard for me to just get out of it just like that by having my daughter. Um, I had a couple kids. I had a, a boy and a girl separated from the mother of my kids um, and just been on this addiction road trying to recover. 25 years I've been on addicted to crystal meth and alcohol. And so um, it got to the point four years ago when I got married, I got baptized. When I got baptized, Everything changed for me. 
I went from a guy that had a black heart. I went from a guy that never cried. I went from a guy that didn't care about anybody. I manipulated everybody that I could. I stole from everybody that I could. I Just to get what I want, I was a selfish individual. And when I got baptized, I learned how to cry. I learned how to care about what you think or what you feel. I learned how to... Um, to help others and in situations that I got myself into in the past getting involved with other individuals if someone was mad or, or you know some type of argument or some it no longer triggered me to want to react the way I reacted this baptism changed me for the good and it's to where I'm at now my mind is different I'm divorced now and my ex-wife used to um, tell me you're not the guy who you used to be I wanted you to be the guy that you used to be this person that I created this false image that I created in my whole life that I am this somebody which really I'm not that was who I was in my addiction she fell in love with that guy so when I got transformed I was this new creation the spirit seemed like it was taking me away from that lifestyle. I had to go do some things in this marriage to understand, for one, how to treat a woman now. And how I wanted to treat a woman is exactly what I was doing in this marriage. It wasn't being received. So I know as far as everything that I've been through got hit at that moment when I got baptized, all the things that I've done in my life, I took it all. I responded, as they say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Everything in my life since I got baptized, I've been responding like that, and it's made me feel better. Now I'm here at the Bay Area Rescue Mission where I finally seek help. I finally seek treatment. Um, I've... You know, they, when you get baptized, it's it's not easy. They don't get easy. It don't. It's not what it seems like when you get baptized. Everything is peaches and cream. If you could understand that the devil's had you for your whole life, and when you get baptized and you want to get close to God, the devil's not going to let you go that easy. There's still going to be bumps and bruises and, and bumps in the road that you're going to hit. But it's just how you overcome them. How you how you think about the situation in your mind. That's what a baptism is, and how you respond to it. And so I just did. 10 months in jail because I had to finish everything, a warrant, maybe a missed court date that I had years ago. I finally surrendered, turned myself in, did the 10 months, and I called an Uber from Stockton, California to here to Bay Area Rescue Mission. And since I've been here, I noticed not only myself, but my mom, a couple of the chaplains here, you're different. Sometimes they, they've seen me come in and out of this place. This is for the shelter-wise. I used to be a runner, but never really fully surrendered to the Bay Area Rescue Mission as far as letting them help me. So a lot of people notice the difference, the change in me. And I notice it, and I trip myself out to this day. Every day in the back over here for the shelter guests, I find myself giving a prayer call. And I pray for every individual back there. I give a devotion. I read a scripture. And I let them know and I reassure them that my bed was once right there. And where I'm at and what I'm speaking of, I want you guys to understand where I came from. And I want you guys to change your ways. I speak about it on a daily basis as much as I can to try and get at least one person like what we're doing on this radio station right now. Who knows who's listening, but that one person could probably relate to my story and I've been through it all I've seen it all but by the grace of God 
I've been saved and I'm different. My, my heart is, is changed. My mind is changed and I'm praying for people. I'm seeking people. And I know that's what my calling is now. My calling is no more of the world of drugs and alcohol and putting myself down into the gutter and destroying myself. My calling is to help other people see what I see. And what, what I see is a better life. I see, um, I could breathe the air. The colors of the trees are better. I enjoyed seeing the birds fly in the sky. I enjoy the food that I eat. I could taste the food. It tastes so good. I enjoy the breezes in the air, God's creation in the clouds, everything. For me, coming from the lifestyle that I came from and to be transformed, I enjoy life now. I have no worries. I don't worry about what tomorrow shall bring. I'm worrying about one day at a time. And Bay Area Rescue Mission is helping me do that. As I take these classes that they have here, they're all spiritual classes, so it helps me break down my mindset, my mind, why I think the way I think, why I act the way I think. And everything that we do in life as we think and, and and we walk, it goes proclaimed to what the scripture and the Bible says. Everything that we do, what we shall eat, what we should drink, how we should treat one another. I was doing everything the opposite. And so now that I have a better understanding, now I know why I'm the way I am now. I'm a new creation. So my scripture that I can share with all of you guys, and this is what I got baptized with, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's anyone who comes to Christ, he's a new creation. The old life is dead. It's gone. The new life is here. Behold. And that's how I walk today. I, I walk today knowing that all things are new. Everything is brand new. Everything that happened to me in the past is dead. So you shouldn't worry about your past. You shouldn't dwell on your past on who did what to you or why you did this. Because really, that's just a roadblock for you to want to stopping God from showing you his blessings that he has in store for you. The more you hold on to your past, the more you hold on to your old self. God is not going to be able to show you his blessings. The people I surround myself with here at the Barry Rich Mission, the staff members are all very spiritual and you can feel their energy and it feels good and it makes me feel good as a person knowing that I can pray for others. I can speak some of scriptures to the shelter guests in the back. It makes me feel good as a person in my heart because when I go down and I lay down to sleep, I know I no longer have to sleep wondering or in fear or anxiety. I know I did something good. To some people, it may not seem like a lot but to me if you can understand where I'm coming from for your soul and for your heart and for your spirit you can feel a change when you actually do something from your heart and you pray for people and you and you want to help them I see myself in San Francisco that's where I plan on going to be a counselor um, some type of uh, drug counselor if I can be because I believe that counselors come from people like stories like mine Um, and I believe a lot of people they have listened to me. I see their eyes open when I speak to them because they see that when I speak, I speak it from the heart and they can tell that I've been through what I've been through. So I touch a lot of hearts. I touch a lot of lives. So I know that's my gift. I know that's my calling. So now I ask God, what do I do with this? And I leave it all in his hands. And I know this is what he wants for me. I know he wants me to speak positive, speak life into other individuals that once have walked the streets like I walked or did the drugs and drink the alcohol that I did or live the party life of, as a DJ and partying and, and, and I, I know my calling is, is that in San Francisco 
if I know that's what God has in store for me. And none of this would be possible if it wasn't for God. This is all the visions and the dreams that I've asked for. If you ask God to, to show you things, he'll show you. If I could just leave with a message, is just let go of your past. Let go of, of whatever is holding you back. Whatever trauma, you have to surrender it. You have to give it to God. Like I said, from the beginning of my story, my life started with a car accident with a woman dying. So you can only imagine from that point all the way to now, the things that I went through, the things that I suffered, the things that I've seen, the jail time that I've been doing. I've had a lot of guilt on my shoulders and I surrendered it all and and now I could speak freely. I feel good speaking to you guys right now, um, knowing that I know that there's one person out there that's listening to this and may God bless you. May God change your life. Chris's story, that of hope and healing and redemption. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And he is an amazing young man. And it's incredible to see what God has done in his life. And, of course, a lot of this because of the faithful contributions of supporters of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. You know, during this Thanksgiving season, the opportunity to minister to thousands of needy families and individuals is laid right before us. Would you join us in an effort to make sure that every hungry person in the Bay Area that comes to the doors of the Bay Area Rescue Mission or signs up for a box of hope will receive one? Again, this grant challenge has been extended, which doubles your giving today. So a contribution of just, say, $100 will feed four needy families. That provides an average of 25 meals per family to make sure that Parents and kids all enjoy a traditional Thanksgiving dinner and so much more. Go to KFAX.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner and give your gift today. That's KFAX.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner. Thank you so much for standing with this ministry and making this Thanksgiving a little bit brighter for hurting individuals throughout the Bay Area. We'll take a brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Worry is an area in my Christian walk that I will admit I struggle with. Not even just from time to time, sometimes almost continuously. And let's face it, these days there's a big laundry list of things that we can all be worried about. Now, it's not just limited to, will the Giants win the playoffs? But it's things like financial problems, family troubles, health problems, things of this sort. And suddenly we find ourselves in a whole heap of worry. But what does Jesus say about worry? Well, he tells us, first off, in Matthew 6 and 25, not to be anxious about life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or about our body or what you're going to wear. You have to um, set aside concerns over things like food. In fact, realize that even as God cares for the birds of the air, as they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, so too then should we recognize that we are of greater value than and they, and therefore should recognize that being anxious cannot add even a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, medical doctors will often tell you it can detract from your physical health. So how do we deal with worry and being anxious in life? Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry is the title of the new book by Amy Simpson. And Amy, great to have you on the program. 
Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Well, this is a topic I think all of us uh, deal with at one layer or another. I guess maybe the big room divider here would be those that um, that have a healthy amount of worry. Um, I think sometimes that fight-flight response to things going on around us is an important one to, to have. But then, of course, there's the other side of this coin, and that is when worry becomes excessive. It's no longer normal. It is over-concern or, or maybe a combination of a couple of things. Over-concern, and as you said, just in the book, uh, coupled with some under-trust. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do feel like it's important to make some distinctions, be, you know, because um, what, what I'm talking about here is not pathological anxiety. It's not, um, you know, an anxiety disorder, which really needs to be addressed through maybe counseling, um, sometimes medication, sometimes both. Um, but really the choice to engage in worry. And you're right, anxiety is... Uh, and fear are created to be healthy tools for us. They can help keep us safe. They can help us make wise decisions and avoid situations that we should avoid. Um, sometimes I think when people think they need to address the problem of worry in their lives, they really try to get rid of all fear and anxiety. And, you know, we don't need to rid ourselves of those things completely. They are positive, healthy tools. But worry, you know, just pointlessly worrying about something is different and you know choosing to engage in that behavior does reflect um i think often reflect a belief in our lives that needs to be corrected let's drill down to some important definitions here first you make a a distinction i think that it it can be a decision this is something that we engage in that there's an aspect of this that is that is voluntary is that so yeah absolutely now with something like an anxiety disorder, the anxious response, that fight or flight, is not voluntary. And even with someone who has an anxiety disorder, that's not voluntary. It's really a healthy, normal process that's working too well. It's working overtime. And the body or the brain doesn't know when to shut it off. And that's different. What I'm talking about is the worry that we do engage in voluntarily, even if it's so habitual that we think we're not choosing to do it. It is an action, whether we realize it or not. And it is something that we can um, can address. It, you know, it's not out of our control. Is, is there an aspect of this which is um, passed along through family lines? And I ask that question because oftentimes I think of people that kind of tend to uh, uh, fit into that so-called worry war category mm-hmm. that might tend to come from a family where it was very common. You know, dad worried about finances, mother worried about whether or not the bills were going to be paid on time, or sometimes whether or not dinner was undercooked or overcooked. I mean, it, it can go from the sublime, I suppose, to the ridiculous. Do we tend to sometimes model that if we've seen um, a parent in our uh, youth who excessively gave time over to worry, do we tend to sometimes pick up those habits? Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other behavior, any other habit, um, worry can be modeled for us. And and unfortunately, as we engage in it and indulge it, we um, make it more likely that it will become habitual, maybe even get to a point where it's um, really destructive to our health, or it feels like something we can't control. And, and more than that, as your book goes into in great detail, it can go beyond something that is uh, simply um, obsessive to the destructive power of worry that can not only uh, overcome and impact our relationships with um, our spouses or our children, but even ultimately have a negative impact on our relationship with God. 
Yeah, exactly. Worry is really, I consider it really an act of rebellion on our part. Um, first, you know, first of all, doing something that God has has asked us not to do, asked his people not to do. Um, but also, you know, choosing to often, like I said, there's a belief behind that worry. So often it's a, a belief that is something like, um, I believe the world is my responsibility, <laughs> or I believe God is not strong enough to handle this, or, um, you know, I'm, I'm worrying because I'm trying to see into the future. I'm trying to understand what's going to happen so that I can decide what I should do now. And that's not something that God has given us. You know, he hasn't given us the future. So sometimes we are trying to, when we, we worry, we are actually trying to undermine the, the created order, the limitations that God has placed on us, um, the dramatic... Um, distance between us and him as far as how much higher his ways are than our ways. Is there a direct correlation, too, based on your research on this book, Amy, between um, worry and the the desire to want to control the future um, pitted against our ability to trust God? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, the the future is one of the, our greatest sources of worry. And when we stop to think about wh- what exactly we're worrying over, when we say we worry about um, our, what's going to become of our kids or our jobs or um, the economy or something like that, often we are worrying about tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. And what we're really doing is, again, trying to live in a place we can't live trying to access something that God has not given us. And what that does, in effect, is pull us away from what he has given us. You know, it's a distraction from the present, um, from what God has placed in front of us and called us to, we're in favor of something that he has not given us and that may never be ours. And may also, therefore, um, potentially drive a, a wedge between ourselves and God, too, because we're we're trying to control something that he has not given us control over. And, and obviously, then, too, demonstrative of maybe a notion, a little bit of that, that sin nature creeping in, where we feel as if we can do a better job controlling things than God himself. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's a problem of, of misunderstanding ownership as well. You know, mm. we tend to think that we own the people and possessions in our lives, and we don't. Um, scripture teaches very clearly that everything and everyone belongs to God. And when we get that confused and begin to think that, you know, we really have ownership and we can't afford to lose the things we have or... Um, you know, that we are responsible for our children or our spouses or our employees or the other people in our lives, um, we begin to take on, again, a measure of control that's inappropriate for us and and, uh, sort of forget or sideline the role that God plays as, as our sovereign God. We're visiting today with Amy Simpson, a look at anxious choosing faith in a world of worry. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation on a topic I think that impacts a lot of us. It's one perhaps that uh, you struggle with. I know it's one that I struggle with, and that is the issue of worry. The family troubles, financial problems, whatever it might be, you worry. But what does that say of your relationship with God, and how do we address the destructive power of worry? That's what we're dealing with today, her new book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. Jack in San Jose. Jack, hello. Welcome. Come on in with your comment or question for Amy Simpson. 
Thank you, Amy, for saying uh, thank you, KFAX, for taking my calls. Um, I do have uh, a lot of anxiety and worries. Well, I did have them in the past, and I uh, came across my Christian mentor gave me Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that I have practically memorized that verse, and I uh, recite that always as far as uh, taking my memory, my uh, worries, and just submit them to God and let Him take care of all the problems that I'm uh, facing. Pretty much, we we all created worry-free. Uh, I mean, uh, we're filled with worries around us. We worry just about everything. And we think that, you know, we want to have a control of our life, and we want to be in charge of it. We want to be in control of it, but, and that's where we lose it. You know, we do, and that's an excellent observation, Jack, and maybe maybe you can address that. It's not that having concerns and worries are, are not normal. Um, that's not something that we should say, oh, I think worried about something. i got to go and confess. Uh, there's a healthy degree of worry. There's a natural degree of worry, but it's what we do with it. It's how we respond, and as the caller suggests, uh, being able to surrender to Scripture and surrender to God and, and use many Scriptures that exhort us about how important it is to not worry and to surrender those concerns to God can really be a big key toward getting out from underneath the destructive power of worry, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that any habit of ours, any behavior is really a reflection of, of something we believe. And so if we're, you know, have, if we have a habit of worry or we're worrying destructively, we need to examine, you know, what's the belief behind that? And the way to combat that belief is to reaffirm what is actually true. You know, we're believing something probably that's false, like I'm in charge of the world or, you know, everything's up to me or I can control this. Um, or I can do a better job than God can. And we need to tell ourselves things that are actually true. And, and reciting scripture is a, a wonderful way to do that because those are God's words and they are true. All right. We thank you so much, Jack, for your call. That leaves a line open at 888-367-5329-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Is there a healthy degree of worry, Amy? And if so, how do we, we keep that in balance? I mean, for example, there are days when I've left the house and I, I get halfway down the street and I worry, hmm, did I, did I remember to turn off the stove? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I mean, right. there are certain types of worry that I would seem, uh, would seem to me can be, can be healthy if they're kept in balance. Yeah, and I would I would really actually make a differentiation between um, there between worry and anxiety because I would say that you know there's a healthy that's a healthy degree of anxiety you know that um, if we're not sure whether we turned off the stove we should we should wonder about that we should have a, a level of anxiety about that that will drive us to either go back and turn it off or turn it off next time you know it helps us to make wise decisions to anticipate things that might happen um, but if you were if you were to not do anything about that and you were just to simply worry about it all day mm. you know that's not a healthy response and that's not a productive response you're not actually accomplishing anything um, to address that problem so, so when worry comes about then there, there needs to be some kind of responsive action to it not just to continue and wring your hands and and uh, pace the floor but to either surrender over to God or you know again in the example gee I left the house I wonder if I turned the stove off I'm worried about that well yeah, I can... sometimes we're worrying because we're, we're we're putting off taking action on something we actually should should do and we worry about it instead um, 
And, and God, God, I would suspect then, always wants us to take action, whether it's a responsive, like turning the car back around and heading home and double-checking and finding out, oh, guess what, I did forget to turn off the stove, or putting it in proper perspective and saying, you know what, uh, this is a crippling obsession, uh, it is threatening my well-being, I am trying to control something in the future right. that I cannot control, and I need to therefore take positive steps, positive action to surrender that to God. Exactly. And sometimes it is a matter of, of acknowledging that we can't actually take any action. It may There may be a situation that we actually don't have the power to um, to change or to control. And in those cases, we need to acknowledge. And, you know, we often speak of surrendering control to God, but what we're really doing when we do that is um, we're not surrendering anything. We're just acknowledging what's already true. You know, we're not giving God um, the responsibility for for the world. He already has it. So we just need to submit ourselves to that. It's a little bit of, again, a sin nature here, too, isn't it? Because we're trying to wrestle from God control over things over which we have no control. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, really, in, in trying to be be like God or take on God's um, place in relationship to the universe. And we simply we simply don't have that, that power, and, and we simply have not been given the control over everything. And thank God that we have not been, <laughs> um, you know, because we certainly would not make it better. We're visiting with Amy Simpson, author of Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, something that all of us need to take a look at. I mean, there's a whole ton out there to be worried about. The problem is that sometimes we don't keep it in proper perspective. We allow the the obsessive nature of worry to become destructive. And, of course, that destructiveness can not only be crippling from an emotional standpoint, but also destructive in terms of the impact that it has on our relationships, ultimately our relationship with God, because as Amy suggests, oftentimes this issue of worry is one where we, we're trying to control something that we cannot control that is uniquely in the hands of God. And we're suggesting maybe what, through worry, that we can do a better job than he can? We might not articulate it that way, but maybe our actions would suggest otherwise. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we have suggested on today's program, there are a lot of reasons why and things going on in the world around us and in your own personal life to worry. Lots of reasons to worry, all except one, and that is that God commands us not to worry. In fact, as suggested by our guest today, we need to take a a strong look at our relationship with him and trust issues if we become overwhelmed by worry. And toward that end, this is an interesting topic in in your own personal life, Amy, how have you struggled with this? Yeah, I mean, this book really comes out of my own experience. I I have really spent a lifetime being a, a worried and anxious person, um, but not really recognizing it for what it was because I could always point to somebody else around me who was w- more worried than I was. Um, but God just really um, began to open my eyes to my own worry habits. Like a few years ago when I was um, sitting in a, a church service and, and I heard... Uh, Isaiah 40 being read and and for some reason you know I've been a Christian my whole life I've heard these passages many times but for some reason I heard them heard this in a new way and and in Isaiah 40 when it talks about God says you know who can compare to me who is like me no one I am you know so strong and so mighty that I know all of the stars by name and because of me not one of them is missing and I, for some reason I, that just hit home for me in a way it hadn't before where I realized, you know, this 
this God who is talking to his people in ancient times through the prophet Isaiah is the same God that I claim to trust and to worship. Mm -hmm. And here I am kind of stewing in worry and in anxiety and, and trying to control things that are outside my control. And, uh, you know, if he is keeping track of all the stars and he knows all of them by name, boy, why do I think that I can't trust him with the things that, that worry me and that threaten to overwhelm me? So, I, I, you know, I've been on a journey with that, and God has been addressing that with me and, and writing this book project, you know, is a, a part of that as well. So I am still on that journey. I am certainly not worry-free, um, but God, God's changing my habits and my heart's there, and he's doing it really through addressing my, the beliefs that fuel my worry. Is a big part of this, too, about priority and perspective? I ask that question because it, we're reminded of um, what Jesus says in Luke, uh, twelve twenty two, where he says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and he will give you everything that you need and the reference there to unbelievers puts this in perspective doesn't it worry is what the world does worry and obsessively so is not what we as christians should do right we are called to live differently and we live in a very worried world we live in a culture that not only worries a lot but also values worry as a way to show that we're important we're engaged we care about the world around us and is suspicious of people who are at peace but we are called to live at peace um, and to live a life of faith and trust. And that is, a, that is a, a thing that will make us stand out as Christians in this world. And you're right, it's, sometimes it is a matter of, um, it's certainly a matter of perspective, sometimes it's a matter of priority as well, because worry can be a way um, of revealing to us that we are prioritizing our own concerns above those of God's. Mm. And sometimes just a matter of focusing on, okay, what is important to God in this situation? can completely flip our perspective and make us realize that we are worrying over things that, you know, in in God's <laughs> um, economy aren't don't matter that much. The, the bigger perspective, I mean, because otherwise yeah. we can be crippled as much by worry as by spiritual myopia, that that, that sense of, of, of short-sightedness or narrow-sightedness that doesn't allow us to look beyond the current problem, and again, I want to be careful in underscoring that there are oftentimes uh, worries that come along over legitimate things, mm -hmm. making sure that you um, have enough money to pay the mortgage to keep a roof over the head of your children if your husband has lost his job or your wife has lost her job. That's a legitimate concern, Absolutely. and yet it shouldn't be a crippling one, and if we allow it to do so, doesn't that suggest a bit of a spiritual narrow-mindedness here, that we think somehow that God can't see above and beyond the totality of all of our needs, including whether or not the rent is paid? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we get lost in our own uh, perspective and forget that there is a much larger perspective. And of course, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't mean to minimize the things that, that make us worry. And God doesn't either, really. If you look in Scripture, God never tells us, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about or because the things that you worry about are unimportant. He says, you know, when he tells his people not to worry in Scripture, he always tells them why. And the reason he gives them is never based in um, their circumstances. It's always based in who he is. 
it's always that we are not to worry because of who God is. And, and so regardless of our circumstances, He is greater than those circumstances. And that really takes us back full circle to the initial portion of our conversation where we made that worry-trust uh, correlation that, that really at the end of the day, an extreme degree of worry is suggesting an extreme degree of lack of trust and the ability to supplant worry with trust um, will, will ultimately not only quite frankly give us a better night's sleep but also enrich our spiritual walk and deepen our relationship with christ yes absolutely yeah and and actually the you know making a habit of practicing trust rather than than worrying sort of replacing the worry with not only a change in our beliefs but a change in our practices Mm -hmm. can be a powerfully faith deepening activity so this is something you have to purpose to do yes it is, especially in a, in a, a world where, uh, you know, the culture around us encourages us to worry. And a world where there are plenty of, of reasons to be worried. You know, if God is not on his throne, if God is not in charge of this world, and if he doesn't love us, we have every reason in the world to be worried. Otherwise, to recognize that this is not a one-and-done sort of approach, that in fact you need to renew your trust in Him, as the previous caller suggested, um, uh, committing to memory certain scriptures that help you gain uh, a proper balance and focus on relationship and who's really in charge, because as Amy points out, if God is not on the throne and God is not in charge, we are in a whole ton of trouble, and therefore you have every reason to worry yourself right into ground. If, however, you believe that God is still on the throne, still in charge, that he is the founder and creator of all that is around us, and there is nothing that is outside of his control, then it's a matter of surrendering the worry over to him, saying no to the enemy who wishes to preoccupy you with worry, and learning to deepen your trust in him. The book is called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, and the book newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at the usual suspects, as well as through Amazon.com. Amy also has a website that you can check out, amysimpsononline.com. And Amy, thanks so much for the time and the insights tonight. There's Amy Simpson, Anxious. All right, be anxious for nothing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.